You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space for yourself and others. I'm one of the hosts, Sarah, and this is the other host, Josie. And today is our final episode of season three. Three, three, three. And I am really glad you're not seeing video of this because um, Josie looks fantastic because she's on her way to work, church work. Uh, and I am on my way to run a trail. So, um, yep, that's where we're at. So Josie, how the heck are you? Two very Uh different things. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm okay. I got braces um, and they hurt a lot. Wait, what? Smile. It's just these four right here. I didn't know you were doing that. That does hurt. I didn't either until I went because I was going to the dentist for a cleaning. And I just got put on my partner's insurance because I turned 26. And so, you know. Off the parents. Off the parents big fat bummer um so wait when was your birthday it's on the 28th of june of july july okay mm-hmm. i was so like the i thought it was month, coming up it. Yeah, okay yeah. okay so yeah we went in and they're like so you want braces and i was like i guess and i didn't think that they would be able to do it that day it's fine i appreciate it it's just, they're fast braces so they're different Mm-hmm. They're made to grow bone instead of like taking teeth out to fit your natural jaw. They're made to grow bone so all your teeth fit. Um, so I have fibro and it's very painful. <laughs> it's very painful. It's fine. I appreciate it. Oral health is very important. I'm not really an aesthetics person. I don't care what people think of me. And I've made it to 26 not caring. But oral health contributes to heart health so there you go Whatever. you also have um you have a really unique smile so i think sometimes getting that changed yeah. i know for my friend she um had to have a facial surgery because she her palate was and she had a sideways smile and so it was in orange county where she had the surgery and they wanted to fix her smile fix her smile mm-hmm. and she came over and said i think i'm going to tell them to leave it so yeah. she got her teeth all fixed, but she still has that like cute sideways smile, which I love. Yeah, I um don't smile with my teeth anyways because I don't like the way my face looks when I smile with my teeth. Not even the teeth; it's just like the I don't know. I feel like I look like a chipmunk or whatever. Uh huh. So I just smile with my closed mouth. It's more well, more of an attitude, you know. More of an attitude. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad that you got that taken care of though, and that you have health insurance. That's a big deal. I'm really grateful to, to your partner actually helped me, um, figure out how to get mine. By the way, if you're hearing a noise in the background, it's because I'm dog sitting my friend's big Newfoundlander and he likes to (laughs) do his morning, um, belly upside downs and he makes a lot of noise. Yeah. What's going on, bud? 
Oh, the guy scratched you back. He just plays a lot. He's so cute. Um, so one of the reasons that we're uh, taking a break is that I'm taking a break. I am up in Oregon, um, supposedly taking a break from work. The thing is, is I keep getting invited to speak at things, which is really great and wonderful. Um, but it does mean that I'm going still. So I'm trying to figure out how to balance that working on my Airstream. And one of the things that has been so great is that I do have a bunch of dogs you hear them hmm. around me at all times, which has been wonderful. And I've um, been really lucky to have time alone. But as I was telling you, Josie, last night I did not sleep much because I was watching the documentary, The Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. And I just oh, watched thanks. the first two episodes. And then last night was the first time, I think, in my adult life where I left a light on in my home because I was like, I can't go to sleep like this. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I think about men and how they don't really watch murder documentaries. They don't. And I think it's because um, they're the ones that do the murdering, you know, for the most part. (laughs) So they don't they don't need to be tempted, you know. (laughs) At least that's- <laughs> I don't think that's quite it. I don't think that most men are serial killers. I think as a woman, that's my perspective. Like, a, yeah, don't don't get any ideas. Okay, I'm trying to protect myself by watching these. Don't get any. Ideas. I feel like okay. So here's the here's the tea for me on it. I think that women, in general, this is generalization, um, huge generalization. But I think women in general are really interested with the social, like what makes people tick why they do what they do Mm -hmm. like if you think about like in general in elementary school and middle school girls are trying to figure out the social hierarchy Mm -hmm. and i think something like a serial killer something like it's so outside of the norm i think that people have a really weird fascination for me it's the psychological part of it like i actually don't want to hear about the murders that much i want to just hear like about the story of the person and how they got there and then I mean, it almost feels like you're right. It's almost like you're trying to avoid it. And also the story of the families that like, can you imagine when you're a family member is either the one who is a victim or the one who's the victimizer? Like I, Mm. you know, I've known people whose um, family members have done really terrible things and sort of like, how does it get there? And then what's the explanation? Because I think as humans, we're always trying to figure out how can I avoid this situation, whether it be, um, you know, something happening to you or a loved one. And so um, I'm not, I think that's why women in general watch it is because we're trying to figure out what's the way that we can protect ourselves and loved ones in a like social way too. Like did, did his mother yeah. over mother him? Cause so often there's like weird mother relationships and. Well, isn't that the three things are like, they hit their head, they, yeah, they hit their head, head, head and they're bad fires. Oh, oh bats. There's four. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think mean, I lit fire, so I don't think that should be on the list. Okay, first of all, Josie, like, maybe you have the potential, maybe not to be a serial killer. Yeah, I feel like if my parents didn't take me to church, I'd be a much worse person. <laughs> not like, that's not a good thing about the church, right? That's a lot of shame and stuff, but I feel like I would, yeah, I feel like I would have been a, I have the personality for being a really bad person, like the personality type to get personality type. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Whereas I like cry all the like I worry about people yeah. so much all the time. Um, well, like I always say that if I were the emperor of the world, I would have the world's most mean torture tactics because I wouldn't torture your body; I would torture your mind. Oh, that's like, really creepy. If you're my prisoner, I would ask you, "Hey, what's your favorite meal?" And then that's the only meal you would eat for the rest of your life. Josie, torture. 
Nobody steal terrible. my idea, okay? <laughs> okay, first of all, it's not like you need to trademark torture. Uh... Isn't that so, like, taking the thing you love? Yeah, anyway, like I said, I could have been a really bad person. My hope in prayer, and I'll talk to Ryan about this a little bit, is that you <laughs> never have a stroke and just start doing the things that you've somehow been able to stop yourself from doing. <laughs> yeah, for real. Because the world doesn't need it. Um, well, this is our last episode. Uh, thoughts on making spaces. Have you enjoyed it? What are you thinking? I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed all the people I've met, all the conversations I've had. That's pretty much a podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've enjoyed recording. I think it's so fun because when we first started this, you had never done a podcast before. Now you have another podcast, um, speaking in church. Uh, we work for or help with a media group, which was super fun. I got to hang out with Tori um, the other night, which was so, oh my gosh, Tori is everything I thought Tori would be such <laughs> a cool person. Um, so I feel like we've gotten to know some really cool people through this. So I'm really grateful that you have joined me on this journey. Speaking of today's podcast guests are folks from the Irreverent Media Group. So We've got Dr. Uh, Robin and Anna who have a great uh, podcast about um, justice and the idea of, and I know we intro it a little bit, but it's um, really about this idea that um, theology and um, justice are, are should be married together. And so mm -hmm. um, it's the act, I want to make sure I say it right. It's the activist, how do I say it? The Activist Theology Project. Uh, project. Podcast. Project, because they actually have a project that um, I know I get their um, emails and there's a really cool um, just connection between activism and theology because I think oftentimes, and we talk a little bit about that in the conversation, people think, uh, you know, you're either really into the heady part of, of faith or belief and you're, you're not active. And so um, both of them are just articulate humans and just really fun to chat with so any thoughts you have about this conversation before we hop into it it's a good one to end the season on because it's got a lot to think about yeah it's a very challenging episode and i would um encourage you to sit in it and think about it especially if you're white <laughs> I you're like white the h <laughs> it's yes. very uncomfortable but sit in it Listen sit in it. it maybe have your favorite meal yeah mm, and let me know what it is <laughs> send those to our emails so that we can make sure to record that Josie um, mm -hmm. alright friends enjoy the conversation all, all theology is ethics Yes. All theology is active we, we have relied on doctrine and dogma and thought um, but ideas are actually movement. Yes. And we have, in the West at least, we have um, sold our soul to disembodied thought, mm. disconnected from the body, disconnected from action, disconnected from pressing social concerns. So if, you, if we really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, um, activist theology is just reclaiming that faith that that faith that is living that is moving that is always becoming
Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space for both yourself and others, both literally and figuratively. Um, you can tell I'm a little excited. My name is Sarah, and this is one of my co-hosts, who is... Well, the only other co-host, Josie. (laughs) But we have two uh, friends, incredible people, people who are working um, together uh, with us on um, our uh, podcasting group, which has been really fun. And so this is one of our latest editions, which is the Activist Theology Project. Um, And so two people that we have on today are Anna, who is a United Methodist pastor, co-host, of the Activist Theology Podcast. And also, um, I just got to say, someone who I've known through Wild Goose for a while, human who thrives on curating creative, spiritual, and entrepreneurial possibility, own t-shirts that she makes. So it's so fun Mm -hmm. to have her Mm -hmm. on, as well as another good friend um, of the podcast and just personally, Dr. Robin. And I like to say Dr. Robin because I feel like it's important that people know that this human has Um, They got all the credentials, trans, queer activist, Latinx scholar, public theologian, all around great person, knows how to choose a bottle of wine. It is so fun to have both Anna and Robin on. And so um, I'm a little bit bubbly just because it's so fun to see these people. I'm in Oregon and so I haven't gotten to see Josie in person. So this feels like a COVID moment where I haven't seen some of my favorite people and now you're (laughs) all in the room and we're recording this. It's great, it's fine. Um, Let me ask this question. For both of you, uh, what's one of your favorite spaces and why? And you can take that literally, figuratively, however you want to. And whoever wants to hop in can hop in. Anna, yours is going to be much more interesting than mine. My favorite space. Hi, everyone. Hi, Making Spaces podcast Hi. listeners. I'm so excited to be with both of you, Sarah and Josie. Really, thank you so much for having us. Okay, the answer to the question. One of my favorite spaces is in the middle of a crowd of humans who are enjoying and vibing and dancing and singing to live music. I am a live music junkie. I find so much joy in listening to creative humans sing and play whether it's their own work or the work of others. And I literally suck energy into the marrow of my bones um, from other people while I'm standing in the middle of a crowd, vibing, dancing, singing along to live music. Um, One of my favorite places to be is a floating music festival that I've been going on for the last 10 years. And If you can just imagine being in the middle of the Caribbean under the stars on a pool deck with 2,000 of your closest friends (laughs) dancing and singing to live music um, in the middle of the ocean. So yeah, that's my, that's one of my favorite spaces and that's why it's my favorite. Oh my gosh, Anna, that's so good. All right, Dr. Robin, follow that up. Yeah. So now for something completely different. (laughs) Says the introvert. I'm I'm a hermit. In my, in my former life, I think I was a Buddhist monk and um, have sort of continued the religion train in becoming a theologian. So my favorite space would be in the woods, in a cabin, by myself, alone, in a room with a window and a book, peering out the window, perhaps with a cup of coffee or cold brew if it's hot. Uh, but I have been on one of those floating music festivals with Anna. I did go with Anna 
And it was hilarious because I would go to bed at nine o'clock and get up at 8 a.m. and go have breakfast. And Anna would come in at like three or four in the morning and she would get up at around noon while I was having my first beer. So she'd be having breakfast at noon. It's a true story. (laughs) It's a true story. And, and I'd be drinking my beer while she's having coffee. So I, I can go both. I, I can go lots of different ways, but my favorite space is like in a cabin alone with a book and a window. I'm I, on your side, Dr. Robin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's so fascinating. So when I developed this question in the first season of making spaces, um, I realized how much the spaces that we love tell, tell a lot about mm-hmm. who we are. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. Whether people use like Enneagram or they use Myers-Briggs or whatever it is, right. Like it only tells us like a sliver of who someone is, but I like, I now know, like when we're hanging out, what environments either one of you would be excited about and either one of you would be like, we good. I don't need that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Put me in a cabin by myself with a window and a book and I'm going to hitchhike to town. <laughs> and Josie and Dr. Roberts is not even going to, they're just like, how long have I been here? I don't even know. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get lost in this space. That's what I'm going to do. But I, but I will say, Sarah, when we went to tooth and nail and we sat in that beautiful space and drink that amazing wine. And remember Sam who helped us out? Sam was amazing. Like she became our best friend. It was so good. Yeah. We were we had all these plans to go to a bunch of wineries, but we ended up just going to one and it was yeah. everything we needed in a bunch of wineries. It was just that moment of connecting with her. We know her story. Talk about a bunch of pastors, like just yeah. Aaron, yeah. Robin, and I got the whole story out of this woman about how her kid, like it was incredible. And so like that, is a like it, it was beautiful it was a beautiful experience right like right. we were there we were connecting we were drinking really good wine um and then later we went to that really cool speakeasy mm-hmm. right so when i think about space and i've and i in my phd work i read about a lot about space and place like theories about space and place so space and place is like ritualistic for me mm. and so I love going to live music with Anna. Most of the time she will capture shimmies, which are all over her Instagram page. True story. <laughs> and I've seen and these, like, baby. And like, I love that. Um, but I'm a hermit and I, and I don't <laughs> last long because I'm a five on the Enneagram and an right. intense introvert. Yeah. Mm. Robin's Robin's favorite thing to do in going to live music is the going home part <laughs> and, and I hear the music end and literally like I I like just melted to a crushing ball of sadness onto the floor because all of these people are going to disappear and I'm going to disappear and I'm never going to have that experience again so you know yeah, what we people are, we are strange bedfellows friends we are strange but bedfellows. what people don't what people don't know is I initially went to college in Texas on a music scholarship so actually, Ooh. music is one of my first loves. I just happened to fall in love with philosophy and ideas and became a thinker. So, you know, music is, uh, um, I wouldn't say a love language because I'm really food and sex motivated. So oh. food is more my, my love language. But music, to be with people, again, it's about ritual. 
to be with people, to feel the energy of people, to feel the rhythm uh, is really powerful. And, and I would say sacred. Yeah. I love them. It's this idea of, um, are we like, uh, are we taking in other people's energy? So almost like that empath thing, which can be both positive and negative, right? So you're in a large space. So for me, uh, recognizing that like my central nervous system has been overworked for the last however many years, because it's almost like I've been taking in people. Anna, you said you take in that energy from people, but yes. I also can take in that negative, like oh, absolutely. vibe space. Yes. And so I think as a Enneagram five, you're like thinking through all these things. Um, and, and strategizing how the hell to get out. Right, right, right. You're like, uh, right. And so that is, that takes up the moment where it's hard to be present to it. But then right. there's a moment where you watch Anna and you, as someone who really cares about Anna, you can feel that like, oh, but there's, there's something about this space. If Anna is so, you know, captivated by this space, there's something about it. And then you can like, almost like separate yourself from how you're experiencing it and see someone else experiencing it and going, oh, okay. There's Maybe. nothing, there's nothing better than being in live music space with Anna with a bourbon or a beer. And I can just sip on my drink. We've got what, like two months before we're doing that friends. It's going to be great. Right. Right. <laughs> I could just sip on my drink and I can enjoy this space. And the thing is, is because I'm so introverted and because I live in my mind all the time, I don't always feel safe where I am. You know, mm -hmm. I'm also trans and queer and all that. So like safety is a thing for me. I I've got to feel safe. Right. Um, so like, I really like watching concerts from my couch I watched the Brandy Carlisle concert from the Ryman from my couch. And I really enjoyed that. But there is something particular about being in life space, like beer and hymns, for example. Something something happens in that space. And I loved when Anna and I will probably never get to do it again because the world is changing. But when we went on the Melissa Etheridge cruise together, I loved it. Um, people probably thought that we were like Mutt and Jeff and what were we doing there? But I loved it. I loved being there. I love listening to the music. I love checking out at nine o'clock and Anna would go to the casino and hang out with the musicians and I would get up and like, I would have breakfast with the parents of the band members and the writers, not the performers. Um, and, and I really loved that. And I, you know, Anna's, Anna and I, we're so different, but that difference has brought us together in a really beautiful way. And I think together we create a really compelling space of connection that I think is unparalleled by other people. I love that. Speaking of which, uh, speaking of the space that you all make, uh, tell us about Activist Theology Project. Tell the people all about it. Okay, you go, Anne. I've been talking. <laughs> well, so, okay, so there's two uh, iterations of activist theology. The activist theology project is a project that Dr. Robbins started three years ago. We just celebrated our three-year uh, anniversary or birthday, however you would like to, to name it. Um, and it is a collaborative team that really um, kind of works to harness the ethics and politics of um, what we call en conjunto, which is togetherness. And so we are this kind of misfit group of public theologians and justice advocates who 
really intentionally situate ourselves in this hybrid space of church and social change and the academy. And as a spinoff of the project, Dr. Robin and I created the Activist Theology Podcast, which is a weekly podcast that explores the conversations that then um, kind of create situations for social change. And so we, this podcast space is really fueled by a blend of analysis and activism. So it's a, it's a, an encouraging way for our listeners to learn about the ways they can get their hands dirty in the work, but to also understand the ethics and the analysis behind that action so that we aren't just doing work for work's sake, but we're actually doing work with the intention of achieving what we believe is possible in social liberation. Mm. I, th- I love the title. I think that's it says a lot, almost even about the spaces that we're talking about, this idea that it's not just getting in our head, right? So the theology part is the thought of, right? Theology can be an incredible hands-off moment, right? Uh, Robin uh, talked a little bit about it before, right? We, we can get into the thoughts. We can get into that thinking part of us. We can get into the weeds of philosophy, right? That's, but activist theology doesn't allow for that. It's an engagement. It's a, uh, I have to be acting on the thoughts that I'm having. And I think it's this beautiful merge of the Bible says faith without works is dead. Um, but you know what I mean? There is this, this thing that happens. That's a separation that I think is it's, it's real. And I think there's so many ways that you guys are tapping into that reality that people kind of can get in one camp or the other. And the truth is, is that we got to meet somewhere with both. Um, and so I think even your name was a great idea to make activist theology. Like it's not just about contemplation and setting the world over there and thinking about it. It's also engaging it. So it creates a difference for space. And I, and I would say, uh, theology, if if you really want to get granular, uh, theo- which I do, all, keep going. All, <laughs> all, all theology is ethics. Yes, all theology is active. We we have relied on doctrine and dogma, and thought, um, but ideas are actually movement. Yes, and we have in the West at least we have um, sold our soul to disembodied thought, Mm. disconnected from the body, disconnected from action, disconnected from pressing social concerns. So if you, if we really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, um, activist theology is just reclaiming that faith, that, that faith that is living, that is moving, that is always becoming. Right. It's interesting there. Uh, so much uh, leaned into right belief for so long. So do you ascribe to these three things, these four things, these, and it's, it's, it's almost a, an out, right? It, it, okay. Well, I believe those things. So I'm good and I'm done. and I don't have to engage it anymore. Right. Um, And you're right. Theology in, in the true sense of it. So theology just being the thought of God or the thoughts on the divine or however you want to put it. um, It should demand action because what, what, ideas become things and, and, and and momentarily, it's not like idea then takes a while and then becomes a thing like your way of thinking about how I feel 
about people, how I think about people, how I think about the humanity of people is going to drive my action um, to then how I participate in the world with them. So yeah, and thought is derived from imagination. So if our so I'll just use a phrase, um, our anthropological imagination, right, what we think about humanity, when I say human, what, what conjures up in your mind, probably a white body. And mm. our anthropological imagination, if we are not grounded in a really robust imagination, then we reduce the world to being white bodied and therefore complicit in supremacy culture. And so the activist algae project tries to expand our imagination through story and analysis, tries to invite people into the world to get their hands dirty. And, and Anna is a practical theologian. I am not a practical theologian. And so this pair of like theory and practice or theology and praxis is a great sweet spot to invite people into another possible world. I think that work is really important, especially considering the church at large, right? And I, we can talk about America, but it's not even just, it's American influenced churches as well. Like right. in my family, we got preachers on preachers in my family. Right. But they're the least generous people I know. Mm -hmm. Because they don't use that practice. They don't look at the scriptures and say, well, we're called to be generous people. Mm -hmm. We're only concerned with you being correct. Right. Like I'm not going to heaven because I like gay people. So, but they are, even though that they ha do nothing to help support the kingdom of God. Right. Because that comes later, not now. Yeah. I mean, let's just, let's just go with the sermon on the Mount. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think we've allowed ourselves to, especially when I say we, in this context, I mean, we, those of us who are um, church going or um, faith centric, you know, humans, we've allowed ourselves to silo our beliefs in a way that um, kind of almost create a, a salad bar of faith. And we can say, you know what, I, I want to choose um, this style of base. I'm a spinach eater, not an iceberg eater. And I don't like carrots and I don't like tomatoes, but I want a ton of cheese. And I mean, all these things, we've allowed ourselves to kind of compartmentalize what action and thought and theory um, kind of create for us in faith. And, and what that's done is it's not just set us up for the, the kind of denominational trial that we are in now uh, across the board with, with all of our ideologies competing for airtime. But it also has made us as individuals really lackadaisical in understanding how it is we really are to be people of the creator we have been called to serve. Um, because we go to the salad bar and we get the same freaking salad every time. We never change it up. We never, we never decide that we want to eat something different on any given day um, because this dogma and this, this um, kind of comfort has allowed us to, you know, sink into our seat and say, well, like, this is, it, this is my work to mm -hmm. do. And I'm going to just do this work. Liberation will not come from us being those kinds of, 
of, of faith followers. It, regardless of what your faith tradition is, um, we will not be free from our chains if we are eating the same thing every yeah, day. See, this and- is why I work with Anna. This right here. This is why I work with Anna. Yeah, Oftentimes I feel like people are scared of that liberation, right? Because mm. you'd have to come out of this shell. Like I get in a lot of trouble. Well, trouble, I don't really care. But I get a lot of pushback because I care about a lot of things. And I think about a lot of things deeply. Like I won't eat Chick-fil-A because they are contributing to the oppression of the LGBTQIA plus community. And people don't like that. People say like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Or I am pushing people not going to Hawaii right now because that's what the native people said. And people get all upset about it because they want to go to Hawaii and they're not wanting to see that your small actions can fulfill the liberation for us all. You making a teeny little sacrifice of not eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich and not going to Hawaii can mean like monumental change for other people. But because it's making you uncomfortable, you don't want to have to make the shift. And that is a Mm. huge problem in the church in general, at least Mm -hmm. In my little Latin opinion. <laughs> my little Latin. No one has ever accused you of having a little Latin opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I if, I can, if I can just speak to Latin opinions, we need more of those. <laughs> yes. We need more Latin opinions, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I am H O. In my. <laughs> oh. I had to think about what that meant. I, what I am really fascinated by is that. Uh, Robin, you like to not think of yourself as like a hip person, but how many times have you taught me what like a hip saying is? I'm like, what does that mean? And then you define it for me because I don't know, in my opinion. I think it's hard to, I think there's fatigue if we're honest. Um, Josie, I think what you're tapping into is people might be pushing back because there is there is so much to care about, isn't there? Mm. Um, I was listening uh, today to um, a podcaster who was talking about how um, people are like, wait a minute, like we have a new president. Why are you still having a show about the way that politics fails people? And uh, he was saying, because it it hasn't stopped failing people. It doesn't kind of actually matter. It matters. It matters. When I say it doesn't matter who's in the White House, I don't mean it doesn't matter who's in the White House. But his point was the work continues. Mm. It doesn't matter. Also, if you think Joe Biden is the answer or the Messiah. (laughs) We got some news. Yeah. Yeah. Let me break it to you. Joe Biden is not the answer. I mean, it's it's always the better of two evils. And 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 a prominent always. pastor came after me on Twitter. A white man. Uh, I'll white say his name. Man. A white man. A white T. I'll, I'll say his name. John Pavlovitz came after me for for calling it the the better of two evils. And and John was like, uh, Joe's not evil. And I'm like, let's go back through policies. Mm-hmm. This man may be empathetic. But this man is a white-bodied capitalist exploiting and extracting, making millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. He's the he out of Trump and Biden, he was the better of both of those evils. Mm-hmm. And but but you know, white people, these white liberal progressives, see, people get all pissy with me when I say I'm not a liberal progressive. I'm not invested in that paradigm. <clears throat> I'm invested in the logic of liberation. And the logic of liberation yeah. is about being curious about another possible world. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to vote Democratic or vote blue, and 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 Anna and I, we talk about this on our podcast. We talk about electoral politics. Um, 
it, this is the same coin, the Democrat and Republic. It's the same coin. There are only a few things separating the Democrats and Republicans right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we have to, it, it wouldn't have mattered whether it was Biden or Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or um, the most radical, um, you know, liberation centric Democrat that you can think of. They are still ruling this country on the backs of black and brown people. We are still stuck in um, systems of oppression that, that, that no politician will ever rid us of, regardless of their policies right. and their politics. Right. Those systems are the systems that have to change. That's what has to change mm -hmm. before it will ever matter who sits behind the, the desk. Um, it doesn't matter how liberal yep. that person is. We are, we are a, a country that is built on the backs of people whose oppression and continued oppression is the single thing that continues to let white folks thrive. And until we are right. all willing mm -hmm. to break that system down and decide that politics has no place in liberation, and and that we have to rid ourselves of a political ideology in order to get there. Um, it really, it doesn't matter who we elect. I mean, yes, there will be things, right. there will be people's lives who will become easier or who will become, whose lives will become harder based on polity. That is a, that is a yeah, true statement. That's... And yet, yeah. and yet, mm -hmm. um, you know. But I, white people don't want to divest. This right. is why, Josie, going back to your telling people not to go to Hawaii, white people don't want to divest from their vacation places. Mm -hmm. And right now, what people need to be doing is fucking divesting. Mm -hmm. It's like gentrification in, I only know of Los Angeles, so I can say that. People want to move to where it's cheap and they want to make all these excuses and they want to make it all pretty for themselves. They don't want to accept the responsibility of what they're doing to brown bodies, right. brown bodies that built the city in the first place. Right. Land was stolen from them in the first place. Right. And like we were talking about in politics, my dad, who only was able to vote during the Hillary campaign, that was his first mm. election because we spent decades in immigration court because America sucks. He always says, like, they are never going to want us here, but they're never going to get rid of us. They need us. The economy will collapse without black and brown bodies. So they can cry white supremacy all day long, but they're never going to get rid of us. They cannot. Right. They cannot exist without us. It's a whole it's a whole, like the black and brown class of workers upholds our economic system. Mm -hmm. I write about this in my next book. And then we criminalize uh, immigration. We criminalize people who are border crossers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's that. It's an interesting moment too. I think people are tired. Um, some of our our strongest, fiercest leaders, and and it's a hard thing, right, to like engage this work. I think about um, you know this idea of Hawaii, whatever it might be. It's like. Um, a dear friend of mine said the other day, there's a new cause every day that I need to care about and I'm tired. And so, um, Josie, to your point a little bit, I think sometimes you do have to stick in the lane of like, what's my work to do? 
And how can I support people who are doing work in those other places? But what is my work to do? Because if I do spaghetti myself all over the place, which is a really easy thing to do, like what is the latest thing I heard? Now that's my cause, right? Mm -hmm. Versus going, what is the deep inner work that I have been called to? And then how can I be part of supporting those who are, you know, in those other places? And I think that's been kind of a cool thing about what I feel like your podcast does is it like gives people like a, here's a touch of this one. Did that stir the thing in you? Okay. Then you run with that and then you don't harm the other places and you support where you can, because I think we're dealing with in a massive way that we've never dealt with before, um, community and culture who are exhausted. Um, pastors who are very, our progressive pastors that, and Anna, you and I could probably talk about this for a long time. (laughs) So many of the pastors that were doing this work were exhausted. Uh, and we are in this fatigue moment, but it's, it's, you can't be fatigued. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the work doesn't stop just because you're tired. And so I would really love to hear from all three of you, like how, how does one, make space for the thing that they're called to make space for and then kind of get up sometimes making a space for me is getting out of the way like actually most of the time so i would love to hear what you guys think about this idea of like fatigue or this idea of capturing the thing that is your thing so that you can get deeply rooted in it versus i i have a lot of friends who are i'll i'll be honest they're wonderful people but they are um virtue sig and I do it too, right? Well, right. I can, I can repost this and then I've touched that thing. And then I had to shrink away from stuff because I knew I wasn't constantly hitting the mark. And like, what if I was canceled by all 1700 people, right? Like everyone has an opinion about how I do my work. And that's a very particular thing that has burnt me out. And so I would right. love to hear this. You just sort of where you guys feel, how do you invest? Well, I guess. I think for me, um, in the age of social media, I don't necessarily see any harm in maybe not taking up the mantle for every cause, but calling attention to every cause when you can. Mm -hmm. Reposting can seem like virtue signaling, but sometimes it's just educating. And Mm -hmm. magnifying maybe. Magnifying is not the word. Amplifying. Thank you. Yeah. And honestly, when people tell me that they're exhausted, I think, well, how the hell do you think the rest of us feel all the time, every day in our everyday lives? But that doesn't like negate it. Like no, not say, at all. Because it's not healthy that you're exhausted and it's not healthy that other people are exhausted. So how do we, because that's also, that's, um, I think Robin, you actually said this to me, that that's part of the, the economy we live in creates right. exhaustion. Yeah. Right. But I would challenge people to sit in their exhaustion and why they feel exhausted. Do they feel exhausted because they're doing too much and feeling too much? Are they just tired of taking up the torch and they just want to put it down because they just don't want to anymore? That's what I find, at least with my white friends, is they're like, "Ugh, I've already posted about that. I'm done with that. I'm like, whatever. George Floyd's murder is in jail, whatever. It's fine. It's like, well, that's not the whole that's not the whole issue. We need to keep it going. And I get that you're exhausted. But how do you think the black people feel? Hmm. And I mean, that's very much an Enneagram 8 thing of me, probably. <laughs> Although I'm getting really fucking tired of people calling me an Enneagram 8. <laughs> the Enneagram Which is a very is... Enneagram 8 thing. To... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but and maybe it's, yeah, I try to be kind when kindness is due, but also sometimes it's just a little bit like the rest of us are much more exhausted 
keep it going a little bit longer. That's one of those things that I I have to be honest with. Like you get, you don't get to judge that for other people. Right. Yeah. Like you saying, Oh, we're all, I mean, unfortunately it's one of those things that someone's exhaustion, it doesn't matter. It's like someone's grief. You can't say that grief is more important than that grief. It just is. And so people will tune you out. Right. So we don't want people to tune us out because we've got all these things. People play these, uh, oppression Olympics all the fucking time. Right. You know, I, I stole and, that either from you or Kevin, the oppression Olympics. I've used that a couple of times. Yeah. And you know what Josie says uh, about exhaustion, uh, you know, I don't think that my exhaustion or Josie's exhaustion is the same as mm. yours and, and Anna's. Right, right. It's different. We might be very tired, but the fact that I have to think about my safety every fucking time I leave my house mm-hmm. is a different kind of exhaustion that white-bodied folks, uh, cisgendered, presenting folks don't have to struggle with. Because it's a base level. Right. Right. It's, it's a, it's a compounding. Yeah. And people wonder, and people wonder why I have to take a fucking siesta every day was because I'm fucking worried about every time I leave my house, I'm going to get attacked or jumped or something, you know? But also because you have really good boundaries. One of my favorite, like, I feel like you inspire me when you're like, I'm gonna take a nap now. I'm like, we can do that. <laughs> like, like I feel like it's so inspiring. Or yeah. like, I'm leaving this meeting because it's late. I'm like, I'm not mad that they're doing that, which means we can do that. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's not so much about comparing each other's exhaustion. It's just challenging people, especially white-bodied people, to think about their exhaustion, to yes. think about why they're exhausted. It. That's and great. And to think yeah, about does. can you keep going for the rest of us? Can you just just a little bit more, just a little bit. I think for me, one of the things that I have found from a kind of resiliency standpoint or a mitigating exhaustion standpoint, now, I mean, truth, you know, full truth, I'm a, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. And so I rarely- That means that she farts I, <laughs> uh, rainbows. Yeah, more or less. Um, but I, I also, I mean, I rarely allow myself to feel exhausted because there's always something new and better and different and next for me. That that is a that's a chronic um, kind of state that I find myself in, and that state is not exhausting for me. So it's not detrimental, you know, to my my day to day. But I think as I've gotten older, and I I'm I'm the oldest on this. Uh, this episode of this podcast. Are you and really? So I You're am. not older than me. I am. I am. I just turned 48. <gasps> I need your skincare mm, regimen. That's that's, we can have that on a different podcast. Okay. 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 Um, but yeah, I think as I've gotten older, the thing that I have realized is that um, oftentimes those of us who are activists and those of us who are pastors and those of us who have an empathetic bend for the world, um, we think and we do too big. Mm. We, we think about um, worldwide issues and national issues because oftentimes our platform is a national platform or a, a larger platform than, than what others have. Um, we need our energy so much more at a local level 
than we do at a national level or at an international level. And that's not to say that causes and conversations and retweets and the impact of the work um, shouldn't, we shouldn't attempt to try to expand it into bigger and, and more impactful ways. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, the, the number of people who vote in local elections is, is pitiful. Um, when it really is your day to day and the way that your city council and your mayor and your school board run the community in which you live. Um, it really is about the way that your police chief acts towards the people that live in your block. Um, it really is about the way that the teachers in the school system in the county that you live in teach the children about critical race theory or negate it in a way that makes it seem as if it is a, a, a harmful tactic for um, a historical perspective. And so I think that for me, um, my capacity to limit my fatigue has, has required of me to turn my gaze to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay, I focus, okay. I focus on my district. I focus on my town. Um, that's not to say that I won't, I, I travel to Nashville and I, and I do work on behalf of the state and I try to, you know, be a voice for, um, trans and queer folk in, in the state of Tennessee. Um, I'll go to a women's march. I'll go to a, a national gathering of humans to try to let my voice be raised. But in the grand scheme of things, if I am not making a difference in the place that I live, then the people that are a part of my immediate community are the people that are suffering the most. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to be as conscientious about my care for my amazing black neighbor, Ralph, that lives across the street from me, as I am for, um, you know, black folk who are being um, hindered and harmed and brown folk who are being hindered and harmed in all other cities across the country. And so for me, that is the tactic that's worked for me. Um, and it has really made a difference in my capacity to keep going um, because I've shrunk my gaze and I've focused a little more on the things that I feel like I can influence versus the things that I feel like I just need to talk about. And I feel like- Again, it goes back to space and place. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. That's what we talked, I, I was just gonna say, I feel, you know, I remember um, I was captivated a lot by Wendell Berry's work. Um, and I, I think it's because Wendell Berry does this great job of saying exactly what both of all three of you have said, um, being very specific about where you are and right. being captivated by your actual neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, because until something has a face, then it is right. all theory. And right. uh, it's really easy to just think, okay, well, this is that. And um, I, I'm excited uh, for the work that you guys do because it is giving a face for folks and it might be a larger, like a, a, it might be not anyone that's anywhere close to them, but now they're going to know how to encounter their transgendered neighbor because they've at least had a moment that wasn't like, it, they've had a, a touch of it to know how to now engage it in a different way. And so it's doing this larger work so that we can do the real work, which is the interpersonal, it's the down, it's the close. It's all about relationships. 
-hmm. It's relationships all the way down for me. Yes. And if I am not concerned, like one of my passions are the people who live without walls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that could be any of us on this podcast. Yep. Yep. And if I do not care for my friends on the streets, mm-hmm. no, it, it's fucking 2021. No one should be without a home. No, Amen. no, yep. no, um, friends. And, and so if I don't care about that, yeah, that's your literal neighbor. That is yeah. where, where are they? Where are they staying? How are right. they being cared for? Um, right. We could talk forever, and this is why I'm so glad we're all part of a reverent media group because we're just gonna do this, guys. We're gonna talk forever, but also we're gonna act, right? Activist theology. We're not just gonna talk. Um, would either of you or both of you are together? I don't know. One of you starts the sentence, the other ends it. Whatever. However you guys want to do this. What is a tangible way for our listeners or anyone who is hearing this or? for them to make space for themselves or others. I think we've offered a couple of things like getting very local, but um, what is one thing that you would offer to people as sort of a tangible way to move forward in this? Big question, I know. Yeah, I think that for me, it is kind of um, understanding how the space, how the space that you occupy influences the space that others occupy. Um, I mean, we are ultimately a part of a massive Venn diagram, right? And there's, it's, it's impossible for something that I do to not have a trickle effect um, or to intersect with someone else in some way at some time. Now, that might be my intersection with my partner that I live with and then his intersection with someone else outside the walls, or it may be my intersection with someone on the street and then their intersection with their pastor down the, down the line. But every one of us has um, the, the need to identify that our space is interconnected and is interwoven with another's. And ultimately our space is then also interwoven with all of us. Mm. And so if we are going to be people who identify space and place as something that is intimate and important to us, then we have to recognize that all action and all ethics um, are ultimately going to touch another um, in, in one way or possibility. And, and that's, that's, that's what I try to stay mindful of. I love that. I ask people where they buy their coffee. Do you go to Starbucks every day? Or are you buying from a local place that sources their coffee and pays people equitably? Mm, when I trade, was te- yeah, when I was teaching in Berkeley <clears throat> before I left my faculty post, I found a coffee shop with a sustainable uh, business model that is a cooperative and they pay their uh, they pay their farmers and the farmers own. It's farmer owned. So the farmers have a say. And so every month we get coffee from this coffee CSA. Uh, where do you buy your groceries? You know, are you shopping? Are you buying everything at Whole Foods, which actually is invested in private prisons? Mm-hmm. Or are you buy- buying from local farms? Mm-hmm. So just think about, and maybe just taking one of them, right? Because it's hard to think about every right. one of those things at once. Like, I'm always aware of like, it can shut people down to like, think about all those things. So like, what's the thing? Like today is the question, um, where are you getting your coffee? 
And then yeah. that leads you to ask, right? We always talk as friends about intersectionality, right? So like if you start to think about this, then you're going to think about this, but you can't kind of throw the thing. You got to start with the right. one thing. So Robin, that's right. so helpful. Anna, so helpful. Thanks. Thank you to both of you. Um, where can folks find both of your work together and then your work separately? So our work for the Activist Theology project and podcast is at Activist Theology and Activist and Theology share a T. Um, so uh, you can find us on any of the, uh, our website, any social media channels at Activist Theology. Um, I can be personally found at Unholy Heretic and hair is spelled H-A-I-R because of my magnificent blonde quaff. Um, so Unholy Heretic is where folks can locate me on social media. And I'm at iRobin, that's the letter I-R-O-B-Y-N. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm on all those things. Same. Well, um, I am so grateful to both of you. I'm excited for us to get to know each other more and more and more. Um, your work is so inspiring um, to myself and to, I know, to Josie as well. And so Josie, where can folks find us? You can find us at makingspacespodcast.com or at makingspacespodcast on Instagram. And you can find me at Rev Star Heath and you can find Josie at Josie Takes the World. All of yes. The yes. entire world. Josie takes, I want to be in that world. It's a good world. Um, mm -hmm. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. We, as a podcast, are taking a break. So normally we would say, we'll see you next week. We'll be saving a space for you. But we will see you when we see you, where we will always be. Saving a space for you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.